Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, suppose that one of you is invited over to someone's houses to eat. Suppose it is the house of an unbeliever, maybe an unbelieving friend or relative, an unbelieving neighbor, co-worker, acquaintance. And let's set, say they set before you a plate, and upon that plate there is some meat. Well, chances are the issue of whether or not that meat has been sacrificed to idols is not going to be much of a growing concern. Well, not in this context, in this time, and in this place where God the Father has called you to be his holy people. In fact, you may raise some issues about that meat, I suppose, but these issues would be very much uh, the questions we as 21st century Americans would ask, and probably issues that a Christian in the first century in Corinth wouldn't even think about. For instance, if there's ground beef, you may wonder about E. coli poisoning, chicken, salmonella. Or let's say you're one of those who's a little more health conscious, environment conscious, and the welfare of animals in conscience. Well, then you may wonder whether this meat has been treated with hormones. Uh, You may wonder whether it's organic or was raised in a penned-in farm. You may wonder whether they fed these animals the healthy stuff that the animals would eat in nature, or whether they were fed with uh, human-tainted corn products. You may wonder whether the animals had happy, carefree lives before they were butchered. My wife, Karen, once sent me on an errand to get some sea bass for a dish she was preparing, and I couldn't find any store that had sea bass, so I went to a health store where the butcher indignantly told me, scolding me, we don't carry sea bass because they catch it in an inhumane way. And then she went on to say, we only sell happy beef, happy chicken, and happy fish. Someone else uh, nearby who I think was a vegetarian said, well, happy until they were murdered. And suppose, I guess, some of you might then take issue with the mere fact that there's meat on the plate. But the issue of whether or not that meat was sacrificed to idols, probably not much of a growing concern. But in the first century in Corinth, this was a concern. There was the newly planted church, Christians called by Paul's preaching, in the midst of a city where idolatry was openly practiced, where there were idol feasts, and where meat that was sacrificed in temples might find its way into the butcher market or onto the table of your neighbor. And so Paul addresses quite seriously the implications of this. And it may seem at first just a mere academic exercise for us to look at what he says, how he takes various theological matters and weighs them before he gives some specific application to these Christians. On the one hand, back in chapter 8, Paul makes it clear, for all of us who know the true God, the God of Israel, we know that the idols are nothing and that the gods they represent are nothing. Well, then I suppose some Christian might think, well, then I can go take part in the pagan feasts free of conscience. But then Paul says, on the other hand, there is a spiritual reality behind that worship, and it's demonic. Therefore, if you partake of the cup and the table of the Lord, don't be so quick to partake of the cup and the table of demons. Going to those pagan feasts, probably not a good idea. But then what about the meat that finds its way to the butcher shop or to your neighbor's table? Well, on the one hand, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Psalm 24, God created that meat, and I, free of conscience, can eat that meat 
in thanksgiving to the true God who made it for me. But on the other hand, all things are lawful, but not all things are beneficial. Not all things are edifying. In other words, I've got to be concerned about that brother or sister of mine whose conscience is not at liberty, but it's burdened. And I have to conduct myself in such a way that I don't offend my neighbor, and especially that brother or sister whose faith may be weak, whose conscience may not be at liberty to eat. And so from this, Paul gives very specific applications. Don't ask questions about the the food you buy at the butcher's mart. Just buy it and eat it with thanksgiving. Someone has you over to your house, eat what they set in front of you. But if somebody says this was offered to idols, then don't eat. Not for your sake, but for their sake. Not because they're right or because you have to, but simply because in this instance, you're going to put their interests ahead of your own interest. And so you don't eat the meat sacrificed idols. But once again, in our context, not much of a growing concern. Well, I suppose then I could say amen, and we can go off and get our coffee. File this away in case you ever find yourself in a context where there's food sacrificed idols. Maybe that'll come back here. I don't know. Of course, then there are those other exhortations what some commentators call the principles Paul lays out, but these very simple general exhortations that, well, they seem to apply then, and maybe they apply here to us as well. Paul says, Be imitators of me, as I am also of Christ. Well, what about that? No, I don't think Paul's being arrogant and self-righteous and calling himself an example. He's not just anybody. He is one who's been called to be an apostle by the will of God and who's conducted his ministry in such a way that it is an example to these Christians in Corinth. And they're not just anybody. They are the ones who've been sanctified through the Holy Spirit and whom God has called to be saints, his holy people. In light of that, Paul says, be imitators of me as I also am of Christ. Well, what this doesn't mean is that Paul was unwilling to give offense when the gospel gave offense. When the gospel gives offense, Paul was right along with the gospel. And so in Galatians, he doesn't tell the Galatian Christians, on the one hand, you don't need to be circumcised to remain in God's covenant grace. But on the other hand, let's not offend the Judaizers. Let's all get circumcised for their sake. No, Paul calls, wishes anathema upon the Judaizers and calls the Galatians foolish for listening to them. But here in Corinth, we're not talking about the false teachers. We're talking about our neighbor and about our brother and sister who may be weaker in the faith than we are. And for their sake, even when we're free, we're to consider their interests ahead of ours. And so Paul, though free to eat like a Gentile, with Jews he ate like a Jew. With Gentiles he ate like a Gentile. He yielded many of his privileges and rights as an apostle for the sake of saving others. And so he says, be inoffensive to both Jew and Greek and to the church of God. Do all things for the glory of God, whether eating or drinking or whatever you do. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. That is, seek not your own interests, your own advantage, but seek the interest of others. And so Paul put the salvation of others even ahead of his own freedom and his own liberties in Christ. And so he urges the Corinthians... And well, and so we hear this exhortation today. 
It just happens that the forms of idolatry in our context don't necessarily uh, reveal themselves in food being sacrificed to pagan temples. So we don't have to worry about the meat. But what about the forms of idolatry in our context that would vie with the Lord Jesus Christ for our allegiance? Well, there's many false religions, but all Americans seem to be united with the God of money and the obsession about money and the pursuit of money. And in our present context, somehow the belief that having money will be the solution, the salvation to all that problems us. That's one false God. You pursue that. The welfare of your neighbor isn't going to be much of a big deal. And then there's the God of me, the God of self, self self-interest, self-promotion, self-expression. Me being me for you, for me. And you, well, who cares about you? You don't like who I am? Tough. You might consider this American context and how many of us can be tainted with this and then bring this idolatry into the church. Come into the church and ask not how I can serve you, my brother and sister, but how you can serve me. And then despise how God serves me through his gospel and sacraments. In other words, we're in a context where the glory of God, the welfare of my neighbor, the welfare of my brother and sister, and their salvation may also not be much of a growing concern. And if this is our attitude, then we ought to repent and confess our sins to our God who has called us to be his holy people in this time and in this place, to our God who has sanctified us through the Spirit, who has washed us in baptism and justified us through his Son. In this context, we should turn in faith to our Lord Jesus Christ, who did not look out for his own interests, but the interests of others. We consider what Jesus did, considering his Father's will more important than what he wanted, considering the redemption of this fallen creation more important than his own life, the salvation of his people Israel, the salvation of humanity, and now in time also, your salvation. Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He came to be faithful to his calling, faithful unto death, even death on a cross. And so in Christ, you are called to be God's holy people, You are washed in baptism. You are sanctified through the Spirit. You are justified, declared righteous. And also you are called, now in Christ, to live for the glory of God and for the welfare of your neighbor. Eating meat sacrificed to idols may not be much of a growing concern. But the salvation of our neighbor, the salvation of our brother and sister in Christ, especially those who are weak, God calls this to be our concern. Even as Christ has come and lived not for himself, but for you, and so has redeemed you. May the Lord God, our Heavenly Father, give us his spirit that we would live for his glory, live for the welfare of our neighbor and for our brothers and sisters in Christ, and that he would preserve us in this faith both now and unto life everlasting. Amen.
And now may the peace which passes all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.